0: Okay, praise the Lord. How many of you are grateful to be in this place, a place that will empower you to be all you can be, but also the purpose of not just you being all you could be, but you being all you could be so you could bless the whole wide world? I don't think we've seen even the beginning, although we, you know, we love to do things in the nations and all that kind of stuff. I don't think we've even begun to experience what God has intended for each one of your lives when it comes to the things that he has empowered you with as far as understanding of what the uh, you know, the New Testament apostolic ministry that is going to be the next, uh, the next thousand years, I believe, of the kingdom. I think there is a time that we are just in the very beginning pieces of right now, uh, which is called the apostolic move. And those of you and those of us that are blessed to be part of it, As we step into it and begin to understand more and more and more about what God is trying to do, because his intention is still, as it has always been, to fill the earth up with his glory. Um, But interestingly enough, he didn't want to do that himself. He wanted to do that, uh, well, with Adam and his kids, of which you are one. Uh, Well, most of you are one. Uh, But that's God's intention. And it's still God's intention. It has always been God's intention. To do that, And so we're getting into the season, I believe, in the kingdom where uh, there are probably the most dramatic changes in man and his relationship to God than there have ever been. Uh, maybe there's been a, a person here, a person there. I'm thinking of Abraham or David or Isaiah or Jesus or Paul or, you know, a few people here or there that have touched God in a extraordinary way. Uh, but I believe we're going into a season. we can all be ready for this season, uh, not maybe not only in our lives, certainly in our lives. I'm expecting to see quite a bit of it. I'm already seeing quite a bit of it, I should say. Uh, I think there's major things that are going on in the, in the Godwardness of people. I'm just thinking of that one song that you guys did tonight. Uh, what's the "Oh--oh" what's the, oh, oh song? What's the words to it? I'm so there's no end to the affection that you have for me. That's that's me speaking to God. There's no, no, God, you know there's no end to your affection towards me. Do you know a hundred years ago that would have been blasphemy? God has no affection for me. I am a filthy, nasty sinner and he can't wait to cast my bones into hell. That was the way they thought God was back then and that's not God at all. all. And so we've really come, we don't think it because we've kind of been those frogs boiling in the pot. We don't realize that it's been slowly happening around us but we're able to gather a whole congregation in nowhere, I mean in Fort Erie, uh, Ontario, and, and we can all say we're not in this you know we're not necessarily in Oklahoma or we're in Dallas or we're in Toronto yeah. blessing we're in Fort Erie, and yet we can all still hold our hands up and say, with all of our might, there's no end to your affection I'm, la- I'm, I'm living proof that there's no end to God's affection towards us, and so as we're doing that, we're recognizing that I believe that we're going into a, 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 different, a slightly different season that I, I want to talk a little bit about tonight, and that is that we have, the kingdom has really always been about this thing called truth. How many of you would say, I love truth? How many of you say, I went towards God because I wanted to know the truth? How many yes, say, yep, yes. um, that crowds me? Yep. But how many of you know that you can have truth? Truth has not existed, didn't begin to exist when you started looking for it. How many of you know that? Truth has always existed. Truth and God are synonymous. Yes. I mean, you, you probably know that as well. Yeah. Right? God didn't release his, he didn't become God when he released the word that was God. How many of you know that? Yeah. He was God and his word was part of him and he released his word at a, at a moment in time. There was a time when, we've, when we had the systematic writing down of God's words, but God and his word were always one and they were always right? Yes. That means truth yes. was always. Yes. Truth is transcendent. Mm-hmm. Truth is not, is not you know, determined by space and time. It's not, it never came into existence. It has always been. Yes. The difference, though, is that we're going into a season of light. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a specific thing about light that differentiates it from truth. And the way we would look at that is, these light bulbs are, are powered by electricity, but they are not electricity. They are electricity applied through a light bulb, which creates light. Very similarly, truth is, or light rather, is truth when it is inside or believed by a human being. That's why the Lord, when Jesus was here, it refers to Jesus as the light, because he was the full manifestation of the word of God, the truth in human form on the earth. The truth inside of a human being creates light, just like electricity inside of a light bulb creates light. Like we could shut the electricity off to this building. How many of you expect the lights would still stay on? That wouldn't happen. That's the nature of humankind in our earth today. They are still light bulbs, but they don't have any truth on the inside of them, so they don't shine. There is no emanation. There is no illumination. There is no expression of the light through their lives. The season that we are going into apostolically then is a season where the word of God, the truth is becoming resident more greatly and more greatly in the hearts of human beings and they are becoming brighter the light is shining from them the more that it happens the brighter that one the the the, the more truth in a person the brighter their light shines obviously right have, they would have more truth by which they have to express out not just in word as a preacher but in the way they live their lives, the way they say things, the way they do things. We become different people, and there is an expression of that. There's a tangible nature to a human being when that human being is empowered on the inside by the truth, and they believe that truth. And so what I'd like to talk a little bit about tonight, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wrapping up, I think we're, I've got one more, I think I'm, How much time do we left before summer's over? God, please don't tell me. I know it's only a couple of days until technically summer is over. Uh, But I've got some things that I wanted to be able to discuss with you before we get to the tent this weekend. Uh, And uh, it's kind of like a journey for us each to understand what is the experience of humankind. I think if we could understand what has been the history of humanity, not from a science perspective or an academics perspective, but what's the history of humankind from God's perspective? What has he been trying to do? What has been the journey that human nature or human beings have been on throughout time? And how does that affect the the journey that each one of us are on in our relationship with God, our relationship with the New Testament. And so if I can, I think I have. Okay, so remember now, I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. The beginning was creation. And in the time of creation, now this only exists on two pages of your Bible, when God had his way. God's way was that he made man, and man only heard, excuse me, only heard God's voice. What, hap- what was the nature of man then when the only voice he heard was God's voice? Now we have a human being that is full of light. How's that? Well, because God's words are truth. They're getting getting—they're the only thing that's getting into the heart of a human being. And when it's the only thing getting into a heart of the human being, then a human being is very bright. He's very light. And I think when we get to meet Adam, he's going to have quite a few stories to tell about what he could do or what he was as a creature as a being. He was an extraordinary being, and I think we can get a picture of that by just looking at what did Jesus look like. Jesus was obviously the fullness of all that God had spoken up until that time. Adam was only, okay, you know, maybe he only had time to say a few things to Adam. I don't know, but certainly all Adam had was light on the, uh, ex- emanating from him because all he had was God's voice until we get to this wonderful page three of our Bible, Or or, uh, three, well, one to ten. And three, one to ten, we get the other guy come on the scene. And now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God says, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I think Adam added that part. Uh, And the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now we know that they already were as gods because they were a clay vessel filled with the truth and the nature of God. They were already functioning like that. And so the problem was, is that they thought something was not true that actually was true. And now... Then that's when the, the, the devil had them and the woman saw that the tree was good for food uh, and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise. They already were wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they showed they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said to him, where art thou? Adam's answer, verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so, and then, so we realize then that something dramatic now has happened to Adam. There is a, a, a significant transition that happens in a human life when a human does something that they know is wrong. Right. Now, let me tell you, uh, having observed this in people, I know that it's almost like a profound reality that you experience. You're not necessarily gonna have this, you know, all of a sudden I have the fires of hell before my eyes and I collapse onto the floor. It's not like that. It is just that there is a profound difference in the expression and life of that person each one of us have gone through this when we allowed deception to enter into our hearts and so this is the 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 the, the first time this has ever happened to a human being when now that person was afraid i was afraid And this now is a virus that has permeated to the, to the nth degree. I don't know that there has ever been a, a humankind, even those people in, the wor- in, in world wars, that have expressed the level of fear that, or, or at least have, uh, uh, what's the right way to say it? Who have perceived the level of fear that we experience in our world today. I told you that my, I had a, my brother is a, a neuro... Uh, a nurse a head nurse in a neurological place of a hospital and he said that the number one presenting problem five years from now the number one reason people will go to a doctor the, the what they call a presenting what do they what do they call that joanna are you back there present anyways whatever the problem you present first the reason you're going to the doctor did i confuse everybody there Uh, is fear, anxiety, all of these type of things, stress. And so this problem, I was afraid, is rooted all the way back to the original uh, uh, sin. We call that, we call it sin. I think it's okay to call it sin, but sin doesn't necessarily describe it. How many of you know it's not wrong to eat an apple? What's wrong is to eat an apple when God says, don't eat that apple, and so the reality here is that God, that Adam knew that what he was doing was wrong. And when he knew what he was doing was wrong, it created this profound sense of separation between him and God and him, and in fact, what we could talk about today, the separation was between him and his true nature. The nature of a human being is not uh, Adam after sin, the nature of a human being is Adam before sin, or Jesus, when he was here. And so we have to become aware that no matter at what level we are presently experiencing our humanity, we have to realize that the ultimate expression of a human kind is Jesus. Every one of us, if we were to be able to to completely divest ourselves of any deception and completely invest ourselves which is possible, theoretically possible, completely invest ourselves with the word of God, we would look just like Jesus. That is the, obje- that is the stated objective of, the, of, Christi- of what we call Christianity, but what Jesus was here to accomplish when he was here. He's not trying to create people who worship God or who go to church or who pray or who read their Bible we should go to church and worship God and pray and read our Bible. That we do those things because of the objective, I am a disciple of Jesus and I want to become like him. And every day, my pursuit is not to, in my misery of my humanity, just bow down and worship God. And then go home and come back tomorrow and bow down and worship God. That's not what he wanted. Even when he was here on this planet, he was not in, who, why, why do you call me good, Jesus said, remember? And we'd say, oh, Jesus, you were good. It wasn't the question. He said, why do you call me good? Why are you just sitting here bowing down to me? That's not the point. What I want you to do is I want you to, uh, to vener, venerate me, and Jesus would say, I want you to set me on a pedestal only because that's going to be your high watermark. Yeah. And that's going to be where I'm heading so that my humanity, the fullness and the full potential of my humanity, can also get expressed. Amen. Not in a way that serves me, as you'll see. That's, that's pseudo-Christianity. Real Christianity has nothing to do with serving myself, as you're going to discover in a second. But don't be afraid to allow the truth of Jesus' purpose when he came here to be expressed so that we have the, even the shot Even the opportunity then to be coming to church or coming towards God or reading our Bible or praying or doing whatever the activities I'm doing, I'm doing it because I'm setting myself on a journey to become just like Jesus. When we can finally boil, and that's what I think the next thousand years are gonna be about. We're gonna boil this thing down so that every person that comes to Jesus comes to Jesus because they want to be like Jesus. They're not coming to Jesus because he's this awesome human being and it is my responsibility to worship him because he's such an awesome human being. And then go home and come back tomorrow and do it again. That's not the purpose. And we have to set ourselves to that journey. And understanding then, what we're going to talk about tonight, is understanding how do I get on that journey? What are the reasons why we do things that are perhaps religious-looking because they're setting us in a, in a journey, if we're getting the proper juices out of them, if we're making the right decisions, if we're going the right direction for the right reason, what I'm actually doing as I'm stepping through every gateway is I'm becoming more of a person that can follow Jesus. It's not as easy as it looks. I mean, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And what we're trying to do is then let's, let's boil it down so that we understand why are we doing the things that we're doing at every level. Why do I worship God? Why do I pray? Why do I come to church? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I pray in tongues? Why do I, why do I, why do I, why do I? It shouldn't just become a means to itself, which is what religion oftentimes does, is it just becomes we do this because we do this. And that shouldn't be the case. We should have, at least, at least it shouldn't eventually be there. Certainly do it at first, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Just get on the bike and we'll push you and then see how you do, but you don't want to be still falling over on the bike ten years from now, which is right. unfortunately what happens a, a lot of the time. Okay, truth is precise; yes. therefore, deception is just everything else. Right. Okay, let's not make the devil's job too complicated. When the devil, when God says four, you know four plus seven is eleven, then the devil can just say it's anything else. Right. Right. His job isn't very hard. He just says it's fourteen, yeah, right. or nine, or two, or ten thousand. Or oranges. He just says whatever, and he, and he can just make it up. As long as he can get you to believe it, then it's deception. And now there's no light, there's no life, there's no nothing going on because he got you to believe that one plus one equals an orange. Right? And I don't know how he does that, but believe me, he does a good job. And people believe the wackiest things, as you probably know. You may be one of those people that believed wacky things, like me. Deception is like Creeping Charlie. After a while, that's why I have this great war against Creeping Charlie in my yard. I'm telling you, I'm winning. uh, It's kind of my personal metaphor against the kingdom of darkness. I'm winning my battle against Creeping Charlie. Deception is like Creeping Charlie. After a while, it seems like a very complex problem. But it all started with one seed. I don't care how big the problems are in the world today, and there are a gazillion of them. They all started with I was afraid. That's where it all started. And if we can get away now and realize that the world is in, a, is actually the world is at the end of their revival. I don't know if you knew the world had revivals. But their revival started at the end of the Second World War when nobody, everybody had enough to do with God since, you know, of course, if God was on the throne then the Second World War wouldn't have happened. Certainly the First World War wouldn't have happened and then when it happened again they were pretty much done with him. And so they were very much looking around for all kinds of other ideas. We call those deceptions. And deceptions are now coming to the end. I don't know if you've noticed. Maybe, how many of you think that the world is still saying, yeah, we got, the, uh, we got the answer, we got the No, we're not saying that anymore. There's really not a lot of it going on there at the end of their revival, which is really awesome because we're at the beginning of ours. And it's time, as you probably are sensing in your heart, when we need to prepare ourselves for a whole bunch of people who are coming back and just sort of you know, sticking their head around the corner going, what's going on in there? You guys look like you're having a lot of fun in there. That's what they're doing. And and then the more and more light there is, can I tell you? Because a lot of times, you know, Christianity, which has got a whole lot of darkness in it, doesn't look a lot different than the dark world with a little bit of light in it. They look kind of the same. And that's what we've been seeing over the last little while, is that just, it's not, there's not a lot of differentiation between the two, but I think we're coming into a season, I'm believing we're coming into a season, I can see that we're coming into a season, I can see the alignment. How many of you know you're getting towards the end of the chess game, and one guy's smiling and one guy's not, you know why? Because they can see the end of the game coming. That's kind of what I can see right now going on in, in the earth, as the God is setting up this this, uh, this amazing system, but Unfortunately, or at least you know, for some, I tell this story often. You know, it was you know, we were in ministry back when we were in our living room. It's just nobody could find us. And then we were in ministry in Crystal Beach. Oh, well, it's pretty tough to find us there too. But then, when you get here, you get a little bit more light, right? You get a little. Your people driving by, they still probably think we're a whack job, but they're at least driving by. They can see us. They see that they see that they could come. Before, they didn't even know they could. And so that's kind of what happens in the beginning of the seasons of our, of, uh, in a greater sense of the macro purpose of God in the earth. There's just a whole bunch of these little tiny little things going on all over the place. But don't worry, like Pastor Tina was saying on, on Sunday, you know, we just keep putting that little one inch cube of seed in the ground and then it's in the ground and then in the ground and then in the ground. And the next thing, you know, you go... It, you know, I th- you say it financially, you say, you know what, it's uh, $2 equals $4 equals 8 and 16 and 32. Nobody's paying any attention yet. And 64 and 128 and 512. Now it's starting to get to be real money. <laughs> then it's 1,000 and 2,000 and 4,000. And then it's a million and two million, a billion and two billion. 2 billion. It's start to be real money after a while. But we're doing the same thing. And so we have to recognize that what's happening right now is that there is a significant transformation in the hearts of human beings, not just the preacher in the pulpit or the guy in Bible school, but it's happening everywhere. And the light of the word of God is dawning on the regular person just being a lover of God because the Word, the understanding is there that I've got a mission to my prayer, a mission to my church attendance, a mission to my my Bible reading, a mission to my tape series and my, all of these things, there's a mission to it. And that is I want to be more like Jesus. And I know that I can be. And every single time I get a revelation, every single time I pursue God, every single time I'm willing to put in the work, my life is getting brighter. Light, more light is shining from me for others to see, but it's also being a huge blessing just to little old me because my world is getting better. Does that make sense? Okay, so then here we are in, uh, in uh, uh, so fear, uh, fear and, uh, is dominant. You need to understand that. And it's aggressive, like Creeping Charlie. I never planted Creeping Charlie in my yard. For some reason, when I want tomatoes, I got to go to the store. I got to buy the little, I, I, I never, I've never had a naturally occurring tomato in my yard. Oh, look, there's a field full of tomatoes. That's never happened to me. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but I can just wake up at any given time and go out in my yard and go look, another sprig of Creeping Charlie. Have you ever noticed that? See, that's because fear, darkness is invasive. It's aggressive. It's it's forceful in the things that it does. That's why we can get to the place where the world is right now. Uh, I need you to understand that weeds invade the void. If you wanna know how to get weeds out of your garden, just grow really thick grass. That's how you do it. When you have a spot and a patch where there's no grass, if you come back a week later, there'll be a dandelion occupying that spot. Because that seed found a void, it found an opening. And when it got it, and I don't know how, I'll tell you today, maybe one of the questions I'll take to my grave, but I don't know how there was a void in Eve. I, I don't know that, I don't know the answer. Somehow, because theoretically, the words of deception can only land on a heart that is already ready for deception. already has a void. I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you there was a void. And there has been a void created, as we'll talk in a second, in every human being since then. And that void is very quickly invaded. It's very quickly and aggressively filled with weeds. And those weeds, that creeping Charlie, sooner or later, covers the whole yard. And it seems like it's an enormous problem that can't be fixed. That's not true. Okay, so in verse 10, it says this. He says, I heard I heard your voice. Okay, so that's very important. Because that tells us that your, your family, people who don't know God, they can still hear God's voice. That's very important. This is after sin, Adam says, I heard your voice. So that's very important. When you pray for your family, you pray for your loved ones, you pray, you yeah, know, speaks. speak louder, Lord. Because yeah. 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 they can hear you. But this is what he said, I hid myself, I was afraid, because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Now listen to the word, listen to what God says here. Verse 11, and he said, who told you? Who told you? Can I tell you? We could spend a couple weeks on who told you. Because God heard something now in what Adam said. Do you know what he heard? He heard a word. That God did not teach Adam. Now we would say that we have these profoundly awesome brains, and we're so creative, and we invent all of these things ourselves. That wasn't even consideration here for God. He didn't say, "Wow, Adam, you invented a new language. You're such an awesome person." Now he said, "You've been talking to somebody." He said, "Somebody." This word, "I." See, God never spoke an "I" because He's not an "I." He's a "we." And so whenever he talks, he says, we and us, yes. that's if you read, you know, the season, the couple pages that you have before this moment, it's always we, it's always us. Let us make man in our own image. And so now in the I, God knew something. He said, you've been talking to somebody. You didn't figure out how awesome you are being an individual. That's not what happened like Olivia comes over one day and she starts speaking fluent Chinese. I I don't think she invented the language. I think she's been hanging around with a bunch of people who speak Chinese. That's just what, that's just because we take credit for all of our amazingness, but our amazingness has come from somewhere. We're just, we're just machine, we're just computers who compute permutations and combinations of all the things we see in here. That's why we have to be careful of the things we see in here. Because they're forming us, they're creating our consciousness, and we take credit for all that, saying, oh, I thought of this. No, you didn't. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just the, the, the culmination of the things that have been told to us, that we figure them out maybe in a slightly different formula, with a slightly different answer, with a few pluses and minuses and divide signs, we come out with a different answer, but none of it was given to, we didn't figure any of it out. That's important. Because our world says humans are awesome. And I mean, humans are awesome, but not because they're creative in that sense, that we have this ability to do these awesome things apart from the flow of divine truth and light that comes from God. And when we can get rid of that, we finally can humble ourselves even a little bit to be able to say, okay, God, mm, let's consider whether all this came from you. And when we begin to consider that, all of a sudden our world begins to change because we're not taking credit for everything that we do. So here we are, God says, I can see it in your eyes that you've been talking to somebody. I can see it in your eyes that you've been talking to somebody. God did not assume man got smart enough to figure out that he was an individual and could go his own way. Remember, when we we become individuals, when we become separated from God and go our own way, that's because we've been listening to the wrong guy. Humankind are, are, are together people. We are, we're gatherers. We're, we like to be in, in communities. When we don't want to be in communities, you know, when your teenager goes and sits in the room by themselves, and that's not good because she listened to somebody. I can see it in her eyes. Uh, only deception could create fear, dread, and selfishness. Okay, so when God is speaking to Adam here, and he says, I hid myself selfishness i was afraid fear god knew you must have been talking to somebody else because nothing god could have ever said would have made a human being result in i was afraid because i was naked and so i hid myself so god already knew there's a dividing line because there's fear and dread and selfishness in that human being. You must have been speaking to somebody else because my words, God speaking, only produce faith, hope, the positive expectation of the future and love, selflessness. Okay, so we see it already. Now. We don't have to get very far in our Bible to kind of figure out the whole problem of chaos in our world today. The world has just become this terrible place filled with these problems. Now, remember, if you look at my timeline now, I probably should have put some red marks on here. Uh, and I can't write on the screen on this board because then I will get in real trouble. Okay, so this is creation week right here, if you had a timeline. All the way to here, now we go all the way to here is the flood. Then we go to here, which is the Exodus and Moses and these are the years the Abra- the, the, from the flood to Moses, uh, excuse me, to Abraham. We go 2,500 years with nothing. So I, 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 let me put this into context. If I go two weeks, like I, you know, we were up in Muskoka with Bishop last week, I leave on a Monday, there's no Creeping Charlie in my whole front yard. There's some in my backyard, I'll admit it, but you probably haven't been back there, so I don't care. Nothing in the front yard. I come back, seven, not even seven, five, four, four days later, and I've got the, don't speak while you're emotional, that's my new lesson in life. The Creeping Charlie had returned, four days. Can you imagine what the world looked like after 2,500 years of human animals roaming around the earth without any light at all? Except for a couple of those people whose names are on there that might have known God. Kind of cool that it would happen and that's where Abraham got his information from but for the most part, the earth was completely dark. 2,500 years that happened. And then God, through Moses, comes and delivers the word of God. We All we have is the first five books of the Bible that God, writes, God dictates to Moses on the top of Sinai. The word of God delivered to a heart that is still full, and I mean full, I mean 2,500 years worth of full of darkness and deception and fear. So the word of God really only had the opportunity to be successful in a very small minority of people. And that was a people who are sequestered, they're in in the wilderness, they got nobody, nobody's talking to them, they're just a bunch of desert nomads, nobody wants anything to do with them, they lived all by them onesies, and they, you know, nobody's talking to them or nothing, so they're sequestered group of people, and they got nothing to do but teach their kids the Bible. And so they trained up a child in the way that they should go. And in the end, Shazam, they did not depart from it. Not often. They could have. But that was the only hope for them. They weren't going to be able to get this, as you saw, when the, when the people who left uh, uh, Egypt in the Exodus, all of those people couldn't get this. God had delivered the word of God to them, but there was no transformative power. There was no ability for the truth to become light. Because it couldn't get in. The only hope that it could have was that it was going to start getting in when they were brand new babies and we were going to sequester them so that there wasn't going to be any creeping Charlie around their life at all. And they were going to have a shot to grow up in the light. And they did often, often not, but they often did. And that was the nation of Israel. And they did all these amazing things that we start to saw, started to see in the, you know, in, the, in the historical books and then producing the, the revelatory places of David's books and Solomon's books and then the, the prophets, the majors and the minors and all of these people who had a little bit of a touch of God being able to release the words of God into the earth. It didn't have a lot of effect. Except that those words produced a human being. His name was Jesus. And now the whole world is about to change. Because Jesus comes on the planet and he begins to reveal to us an understanding of the way things are about to be. Because the light, the truth of the word of God is about to take up residency in the heart of of human beings the transformation that you saw this amazing book of acts where the where the word of god spread far and wide to the known world at that time it did so because the word of god was actually getting in to the hearts of human beings A couple hundred years go by and we're back to the old testament again we're back to but that's just i'll tell you what it is but whatever it can't get we don't know how to get it inside you because we lost a few things. We lost some understandings of what we're going to try and talk about today. So what I want to draw your attention to is that when Jesus was speaking now, he refers to, John chapter 3, Jesus begins to refer to, talking to a fellow, Nicodemus, in the middle of the night. This wasn't a teaching of Jesus's. This was one leader to another leader. He, started, he said, to, to, Nicodemus came to him and says, how might I do miracles? And Jesus' answer to him was that, Nicodemus, wait a minute, you must be born again. And what he meant was, you must... Uh, in order for you to see the kingdom, you must be born again. See the kingdom, you must be born again. Paul uh, lifts this even to a further understanding where he says, you must believe that Jesus is Lord. Now, a lot of the times what we've done in our culture is we've turned Jesus is Lord into a prayer, which I'm happy about as long as we got the, the point of the prayer and not just the saying of the prayer. Right. When we are dealing with this concept of Jesus is Lord, let me, let, can, I'm, I'm, and this, is good, this is gonna, like, you gotta brace yourself. Jesus is Lord means this, that I have an unquestioning allegiance to what he says. Which is the most operative word in that sentence? Anyone know? Unquestioning. As long as we are questioning, we don't have that yet. And this is oftentimes the problem, especially in our culture. Because our culture is kind of like a, you know, hedge our bets kind of a culture. It's not really a commitment culture. It's more of a saying, oh, you know what, I, 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 th- I think, yeah, Jesus is cool, my homeboy, you know, he's fun. So I guess I'll kind of go his way a little bit, see? And what we've adopted is we've adopted that I, that I will prove and then I will trust. So I'll hang out with Jesus a wee bit, and if Jesus proves to me that he's awesome and he does all the stuff, you know, give me a Mercedes and a cool wife and a house on the beach, If he does all that kind of stuff, then, you know, I'll start to kind of wander down the trust road a wee bit. Problem, anybody not see the problem yet? The problem is, is that the, the formula don't work like that. How does the formula work? The formula works trust, and he'll prove. Jesus is Lord, is trust. Unquestioning. And this is why Christianity now, modern world, even our journeys, each one of us, in our journeys with the Lord, because we didn't just say, wait up, slow down, stop. Is Jesus Lord? Is there still, and it's okay if there is, is there still questioning? I just don't know if Jesus was real. Maybe he was a story. Maybe he was the person on South Park. I don't know. Not quite sure who Jesus is. That's okay. Okay. Imagine the people in the book of Acts. They didn't know Jesus from Adam. Uh, um, I mean, probably not great in this teaching. Didn't know him from Rocky. Okay, They, they didn't know. But that doesn't mean you can't know. It's a decision that we make as human beings. And these are important decisions. That's why we lose them. We pray prayers, but we don't make decisions. And so there is a decision. Can I tell you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going towards understanding water baptisms.. Zuh. You heard that? Water baptism, za. B- water baptism, za. And I'm not sure what your doctrine is, it doesn't matter to me. You can keep your doctrine if you like. But the key to it is, there's four baptisms. One is a baptism of repentance. Two is the baptism of Jesus' Lord when I truly believe, three is a baptism of the death of self, and four is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of these are believing something or several things. And what we do is baptism is when I say in this area, now hopefully, I'm not saying it can't happen all at one time. There was a, in a, Acts, uh, Acts uh, uh, 8, <laughs> 12 or so, There is a, like, somebody gets the whole thing in one shot. uh, Begins with a C. I can't remember his name now. But he got it, no, not credits. He got the whole thing in one shot. And I'm not saying you can't do that. And we're shooting to do that. I think you can do that when you have a revelation of the love of God. I don't think we have a revelation of the love of God. Because it's very hard to learn what love is in a world where there ain't none. Does that make sense? And so it's very hard for us in a world that calls I love Ferraris, I love ice cream, I love my kids, and I love God. And we use the same word for all those, and you're going, I'm not sure I know what that means. Because we're saying it for all kinds of different contexts. They say love is a decision, love is an action. No, 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 it's not. Love is a compelling. It's a compelling. It's this thing that comes from the inside of you, that even though I might be mad on the hornet at Tina, I, can't, I can't, just can't stop blessing, I can't stop thinking she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's what happens. It's a compelling. It's this thing that comes up from the inside that I just want to serve this person. You're going to go to Africa and you're going to do this amazing, you're compelled to go. That's what's compelling you, is love. And when we can get that, when we can understand the love of God, can I tell you something? I think we will have found the silver bullet. And you'll see that in a minute. But people who can really, like, have a profound experience with the love God loves Ian you, you, It's amazing how many of these pins you knock down in one in one uh, what do you call that in bowling? One uh, throw. Straight. strike. Uh, Straight. Straight. Swing. I don't think it's easy out it yet, guys. Okay, so now remember. When we are going through this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, I'm saying, you are the ultimate expression. And if you really see what Jesus was, Jesus, awesome human being, kind of the hero of all heroes, dies on the cross because he loves Ian. If we can get it, we don't always get it. We get it in pieces sometimes. What we're going to do is we're going to do it in pieces so that we can wander through all of these baptisms right here. And by the time we get to the bottom, we know for sure. I have, I have stepped up to a gate. I have opened the gate, sh- stepped through the gate, shut the gate, heading for the next gate. Can I actually do that? Can I understand the journey here of what God is trying to do as he's trying to restore me to my true nature as a child? Not a, not a human being. Human beings are animals. Homo sapiens are animals. I'm not an animal you're not an animal. Anytime you express the animal, what you're expressing is this person, the creature will call him. Now the Bible calls the creature, I love that word, so I use it, they call it self, they call it flesh, they call it carnal, they call it a whole bunch of different things, but it's referring to this exact same thing. This is the creature. This is the animal person. This is the guys that lived for 2,500 years as the, the selfishness and the fear inside of a human being just multiplied over and over and over and over. What Jesus wants, to do, Jesus is Lord, is focusing you on the, on the next level here. So you, my, my repentance, I know that I'm not doing things right. Number two, Jesus is Lord, if I'm going to do them right, I'm going to follow him. Not them, him. It's not Jesus and Buddha and Hare Krishna and, and Confucius and Mohammed. No, no. It's Jesus. He had the answer. Now, I don't know. maybe Confucius figured some stuff out, and so did Buddha, and so did you maybe. But there's Jesus at the top of the pile. So I'm not going to wander with the second row or the third row or the fourth row people. I'm going to go right for the head. How many say, you know what? If I'm going to go, I'm going to go. That's what Jesus is all about. And when I do that, now I can understand, okay, Jesus is saying, this is your next problem. What you have to do is you have to believe, be believing Jesus is the, is the kingpin, that's big. Because what it does is it puts me in a place of unquestioning allegiance. If he says this is the problem, then it's the problem, no argument. Because I thought, you know, I don't have a Mercedes and a Ferrari yet, so I think that's, the, that's not the problem. Your wife is not the problem. Or your husband, if you happen to have one of those. The government's not the problem. The world is not the problem. You're not even the problem mm-hmm. in that sense. The problem is self, the creature. All of the misery in life comes from the creature. Every, all of it. This is, this is what I'm saying. We can get rid of this guy right here. That's We're going to be like Salem. If we can get rid of him. And what's he made of? Well, this is what happens. When we sin, going back to the story now, we've got Adam sitting in the garden, looking at apples. And he grabs one of those apples, and he eats the apple. And all of a sudden, there is this profound separation that he feels. Three things. He feels weak, he feels vulnerable, and he feels alone. He doesn't say, oh my gosh, I feel... No, he says, I feel (laughs) afraid. I'm not sure why I feel afraid. Why does he feel afraid? Because he feels weak, vulnerable, and alone. That's why he feels afraid. But all he feels is afraid. When you have to unscramble afraid... What you have to do to unscramble afraid is is get rid of the fear, I mean, the weak, the vulnerable, and the alone. The reasons that we feel weak, vulnerable, and alone are for three reasons. Humankind have three reasons why they feel weak, vulnerable, and alone. One, they need to know who protects me. And the, the creature now, his job becomes I must protect myself. And that's his job. Yeah. And any time now when somebody, when Tina comes to me and she says, uh, you know, I need you to put the toilet seat down. And, and I go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I told you to cook me breakfast in the morning and you didn't, so I'm not putting the toilet seat down. Because <laughs> I got to protect myself here. You're trying to judge me. You're trying to manipulate me. You're trying to get me to do something I don't want to do. And that's not me. Right. Guess who that was? That's the creature. It's trying to protect me against all of you nasty people who I absolutely am convinced are trying to hurt me. And so, and the further down the road it gets because she wasn't trying to hurt me. She was just trying to get me to, you know, put the, uh, was kind of benign, but I took it. as though she was trying to hurt me. She's coming against my humanity. I'm the man of this house. I'll put the seat up if I want. But she wasn't doing that. But that's what I thought she was doing. And that's what I thought all the rest of you all were doing. And so I'm constantly seeing that I have this enormous need to protect myself from all of you people who are trying to hurt me when you're not trying to hurt me at all. But my creature who's trying to make sure he has some job security is proving to me that you are all trying to hurt me. The number two things he needs is I must provide for myself. That means that all those things now, I say, well, would you like to help me? How much do I make? How much is it going to cost me? How much do I make? How much is it going to cost me? How much am I going to make? Everything the creature wants to know is how much is it going to cost and how much do I make? Because it's trying to provide for itself. And it's over and over and over and everything, all of a sudden now, every time you come to me and say, hey, would you like to go for coffee? Oh, they want me to spend my money on them again. No, I'm not going for coffee with you because I'm trying to provide for myself. And the more times I try to provide for myself, the more times I think I need to provide for myself because I just see more lack around me and more lack around me and more lack around me and more lack around me. I start attracting people who have lack in their hearts to tell me that there's a reason that there's lack in the world. And so I just goes on and on and on and on as the creature tries to prove to me how valuable he is to my life. And the final one is I must be honored And respected. I always loved this about Jesus when I was first walking with Jesus for, and He would do this thing, do a great miracle, and then He'd say, "Shh, shh, don't tell anybody." Yeah. I said, "Don't tell anybody." What? It's like, I'm a marketing guy at the time. Okay, so it's like, dude, if I raise the dead, come on, CNN, you're gonna see this. It's gonna make me famous. <laughs> Jesus wouldn't like that. Yeah. Jesus wasn't like that. Yeah. Uh, honored and respected is the difference. Like, you're trying to be loved but you're trying to pay for it. Is that crude? I'm sorry if that's crude, but you're trying to pay for it. You're trying to earn it. You're trying to get people to love you by proving to them that you're so honorable and respectable. It's the same thing. And so the creature is all around the place trying to get you to be honored, trying to get you to be respected, trying to get you to be loved and valued, and trying to get you to, for other people to say, oh, you're so meaningful. That's not the purpose. See, what we have to do is we have to realize that the God is this person. He's my protector. You never had to read the scriptures about all, the, you know, all that God does to protect us. That God is my provider. And that God is, the, is my... I have, I have value even if you can't stand me. I'm, I'm valuable even if I do nothing. Because God loves me. And he loved me before I even existed. I didn't even get a chance yet to do anything awesome. And he already loved me. I am valuable because I am. And when you understand that, see that's the silver bullet, because if I know that I'm loved, I certainly know I'm protected and, I'm, and I'm, pro- I'm provided for, right? So when we get this, and we're going to get this, yes. that people can come into the kingdom and they can come into this experience of the love of God. I think we need to, when we talk about the presence, can I tell you what I think the presence is when it really gets to be flowered? Right now it might be green, We haven't seen the flowers yet, but when we see the flowers, what we're going to see is we're going to experience the love of God, and that love of God is going to be this magnificent expression of God's goodness in people's lives, and we're going to get all the way through from one to five just by shooting a hose at them. They're just going to get it. This is where we're heading, folks. We're going into this place. Liz, I love you. I do, Liz. I do love you. I just need like a few more minutes to close this up so I don't have to come back. Okay. Uh, so, so here's what happens. Uh, wow. So the, so the creature, this is how, the, this is how uh, humankind embraces the creature. First of all, this is, you know, if you want to take a look, there's a lot of confusion in our world right now, okay? Because we're doing this whole nature and nurture thing. Can I help you out with nature and nurture? When we're born, we are born, connected to God. I can see that in Olivia's eyes when I look at her. I don't know if you can do that with children, babies. That's why we love babies. But inside of that child is the propensity to see the world through the eyes of the deception of their ancestors. So the deceptions that are in the parents are the, are the leaning of the things that the children see. So we kind of have, we're close to God and all, but we kind of lean over that way. That's nature, you're born with that. And then once you're born, nurture kicks in. But nurture is typically by the same people who are the ancestors of your propensity. And so they start to answer your questions in such a way that makes sense to the propensity that you were born with. And so you tend to not only lean, but then you start understanding the world through their eyes and through their perspective. Until such a time then, as you have this level of... uh, So you believe yourself, the the darkness or the deception that your ancestors have believed. And not long after that, you express it in word or deed. And that is what we call sin. Is the expression, now Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, so it's not even the external. You sinned at the beginning when you believed. You allowed that to become truth in your heart, That's sin. And so we have to realize that this is now the nature of the creature growing on the inside of us. Now that sin produces those, these three things here, where I feel weak, vulnerable, and alone. As I feel weak, vulnerable, and alone, I start to have to create this magnificent person. The, you know, the imaginary Ian has got to go shazam onto the scene, and you guys all go, whoa. And that's what I'm looking for. Because the creature who knows it's weak, vulnerable, and alone wants to appear as though I am strong, I am capable, and I have a whole bunch of Facebook friends. Because that makes me feel the opposite of what I believe that I already am. And that's completely the wrong answer. The right answer is I've got to go back to who I was created to be. What Jesus wants us to do when he's instructing us to take this journey he wants us to set ourselves now that Jesus is Lord. I presume that Jesus is Lord is most of your lives. You couldn't hang around here very long if he wasn't. But now that Jesus is Lord, there's another baptism that we're, that we're heading for. And there may be three baptisms here. There may be one that I say, okay, I need to deal with. I, I got to protect myself. I got to get to the point where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, sharks in the ocean, lightning strikes and tornadoes hit, but they don't hit me. You know why they don't hit me? Because I'm an awesome swimmer. No, because God protects me. There is nothing, not a spider or a bee or a shark or a comet, that is going to take me out. That's just not going to happen. Now, that seems like fanciful talk. But when you believe that, it changes the expression and the, and the, 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 the output of the life that you live. It doesn't mean that, you know, I don't, somebody doesn't get a hangnail every now and again. But it doesn't change the fact that God protects me. And when I get that one, oftentimes what we should be doing at that point is we should say, okay, it's no longer I that lives in this area. This is the I that says I have to protect myself. This is the I that says I have to provide for myself. And this is the I that says I must make sure that I'm honored and respected. Sometimes when it comes to water baptism, I need to get water baptized here, here, and then again here. You know why? Because in our culture, at least right now, at the level of power and anointing that is in the earth today, sometimes it takes a while to get through those revelations. I'm believing with you that we're going to get this done faster and faster and faster. I know with, uh, you know, God provides for me, that took me 25 years. I don't think it has to take that long. I might be thick-headed, it took me a long time, but I don't think you have to take that long. I think we can speed up this process. The way we speed up this process is by getting people through. The anointing increases when more people get to the other side of this. Then when we gather together, the anointing multiplies in the atmosphere where we are together. When we are dealing with water baptism, as we will be in a few days, there's very often a time where we should, we should get rid of the religious thing that says, the only baptism that counts is my baptism that Jesus is Lord. Now, I don't dispute, you gotta be baptized there. That's a belief system. But what, 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 uh, what uh, baptism does is it empowers us to make a quality decision. Can I tell you something? We're not big on quality decisions in our culture. We're good, a quality decision is a decision from which there is no retreating. In the Old Testament, when they made a quality decision, they would scar their body somehow. They'd put a cut on their hand or they would put a, you know, they'd do something where they scarred themselves because the scar won't ever go away. There's always a reminder that I have this scar. And we're not big on that in our culture. You know, when Jesus was, and also, you know, can I say also? We shouldn't use water baptism as a substitute for a quality decision. I'm just going to make it look like I made a quality decision, but I really didn't. Because that's kind of like Jesus said, you know, that your SPS. Because he was saying, you don't need to say, I swear upon this and I swear upon that. No, just say you're going to do it. It's kind of like use the outward expression to, to make to make it seem like I made a quality decision. Don't do that. When you make a quality decision, a quality decision is a, a decision from which there is no retreating. We don't like quality decisions. What's the word that I put in here now? Let me just take a look. It was a very interesting word. Uh, we prefer situational decisions. I kind of prefer to make a commitment to come to church uh, each Sunday morning. And that way it kind of now I haven't made a commitment. I kind of want to love my wife when it's when she's loving me back. I kind of want to serve God when it, when he's doing good things for me. You see those don't work. Oh, they, do, they kind of do work. I mean, if we chain you to the altar, they may work. Because we'll keep you here until they do work. But that's not the normal experience. The normal experience is, I'm going to serve God as long as He's good to me. As soon as He's not good to me anymore, I'm out. That's how it goes. Now that's I guess, part of our culture. That's why it may take a thousand years for this to actually work. Because we've got stuff to undo. But a water baptism is oftentimes it's a quality decision. You know when I'm trying to lose weight, I tell Tina that I'm going to cut back on something, because if I just tell myself I'm not going to, by tomorrow I ain't doing it, because I I didn't make a quality decision. I didn't say anything. But when I tell her, at least now I have to humble myself when I put sugar back in my coffee the next day because I'm, and you know I say, oh yeah, okay, well okay Tina, please okay, help me next time, okay Tina, that's what I say. And so, but if I never said it, I would never even, I wouldn't even skip one lump of sugar in one cup of coffee. Not even the first one I wouldn't do. There is something about, when I make a quality decision, when I'm, I'm like, this is real for me, folks. I'm really doing this. Yes. And I'm really gonna, and I mean, you may not, you still may not make it. That's why I tell you, you got maybe come back next year and we'll do it again. But I'm telling you something about a, a water bath, there's something divine. I, I, I can't even really explain it. There is something divine about making a decision that says, okay, God, you know, all the stuff he's been saying to us this year, control your emotions, control your thoughts, you know, don't... Like, there's just something about it. Say, okay, I've listened, I've listened, I've listened. I've intended to control my thoughts. I've intended to control my emotions. There's just something about it that says, okay, wait a minute. This is important. For God to take a whole year, and no matter who gets in the pulpit, they're saying the same stuff. Because he's saying, this is important. We can't deny this anymore. We have to say, you know what, God, I'm ready. And those of us that are here, maybe you weren't considering doing water baptism on Sunday. But you should be one of those people that's are saying, you know what, God, I think I need to, I, I don't think it's working for me just to come to the pulpit come to the services. I don't think it's working that I'm just standing here, you know, kind of getting Tori to pray over me. And, how, and then I have negative emotion. I have them in the parking lot before I even left the church grounds. Something divine. There's there's a a grace that's released when I have that. Maybe it's humility. Maybe it's you know just doing it and you don't want to. Maybe there's power in the the humiliation that we may feel or that feeling of getting down in the water and saying, "Yeah, you know what? I'm not perfect yet. Okay, there, I said it. I don't know." I think it's all those things. I think the human experience is a lot more complicated than we would say. And sometimes, it's just us going in and saying, Okay, God, I'm willing to do this. I don't care what it is. You want me to jump into a vat of Kool-Aid? I'm in. Jello? I'm in. Whipped cream? I'm in. If God would have said it. Now, he didn't say it, thank goodness. What he did say was, Water baptism is a real thing. No longer I that lives, I, the eyes. The eyes is our problem. No longer I that lives, but Christ, the word of God dwelling on the inside of a human being. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ who lives in me. And I come up out of that water and I leave the lies behind. I leave the misery behind. And I come up out of that water and I just stand there for a moment and I say, okay, God, it's all you now. I've made the very, very, very best decision I could possibly make. It's on camera for crying out loud. So now I need the grace. I need you to help me do this. I need to get rid of these negative thoughts. I need to get rid of these, once and for all. I'm leaving all that misery behind me and I'm saying I'm out. I'm out, I'm not playing that game start to see, as we're getting into this last quarter of the year of Great Harvest, begin to see how powerful the expression of the Word of God can be in our lives if we just stop the negative thoughts and emotions. Refuse them. Refuse to think them. Refuse to feel them. And if you do feel them, go for a run until you don't feel them anymore. Put your hand over your heart and say, Heavenly Father, I'm releasing my faith right now for every person that is being water baptized on Sunday. I know that they're making a quality decision. They're deciding to step even closer to the ways of God, to the word of God, and to the love of God. So I'm releasing my faith with them, each of them, That the great work of grace be applied to their life and their journey. That we would see greater light released from their life and blessing the world around them. In Jesus' name.